I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan and today I have my brother back on the podcast as we are talking about NFL news, especially amidst all of the craziness that is going on in the world right now with coronavirus shutting down the sports world, um, missing NBA games, um, soccer games, English Premier League games. Um, there hasn't been that much sports news to talk about, but the new league year um, for the NFL has just opened today. And I thought it would be a great idea to bring my brother on to talk about some of the free agency moves that ended up happening and what a wild day it was. Right, Mike? Yeah, it's been a wild day and a wild past few weeks with the coronavirus. So everyone stay safe, but yes, it has been a lot of action in the NFL. Um, And there really hasn't been much action in the whole sports world, but the NFL providing some sports entertainment for us. I know it's like a nice, uh, nice little outlet, especially with all the other stuff that's uh, going on in the in the world right now. Um, so, Mike, looking at all the moves that ended up happening, and you know the moves, we might get some stuff breaking today, like right now as we're doing the podcast. So, I'll be having my Adam Schefter Twitter um, tab open on my on my computer right now. And by the way, just so. Uh, people that are listening know we're recording this close to midnight on east on the east coast um just so like if any crazy news happens post that before we release the podcast we apologize that we aren't able to cover it so mike with all the prefaces out of the way um what do you think was the craziest move of the day today i think it has to be the deandre hopkins deal it's kind of the big headliner but I can't believe that the Texans, like, let go DeAndre Hopkins. Like, that to me is uh, kind of a red flag for Bill O'Brien being the GM here. Yeah, and it just brings about a ton of questions for me in terms of whether Bill O'Brien can handle um, a dual role like what Bill Belichick is doing kind of in – in in New England in terms of making the correct decisions and making trades like he did because um, just looking at their draft situation, they didn't have any top 50 picks this year or next year um, as a result of previous trades that they made in, in previous off seasons. And it seems like they wanted to recoup some draft capital in order to build that rebuild their offensive line. And they had to do it at the expense of DeAndre Hopkins, which if I'm rating this trade, it's got to be an F for the Texans, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I, like, I don't understand. It's not even a hot, takey opinion. It's just like, that's the fact of the matter there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Carlos High. So in terms of the Texans running back situation, I mean, effectively for DeAndre Hopkins, they got David Johnson in the second round pick, but that, you know, especially with what we saw with what Stefan Diggs uh, returned for the Vikings, um, where Stefan Diggs went for a 2020 first round pick, a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick. The fact that they weren't able to get a first round pick here is 
pretty astonishing for me for DeAndre Hopkins, who, you know, we were talking for OBJ, like two first rounders potentially, or a first rounder and a second rounder. And, you know, we heard some teams might be interested then, and that was just a year ago. But for DeAndre Hopkins not even to get one first round pick is astonishing to me. Yeah, and I think that, I think what the deal kind of highlights there, at least from my opinion on the outside looking in, it just seems like, um, and I think there's a couple reports that had come out that there had been some friction or some tension between Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins, and Hopkins wanted a new contract with three years left on his deal um, to be adequately paid as one of the top wide receivers amongst the class of him and Michael Thomas. And it just seems like the Texans weren't willing to pay him that much money. He's getting paid about, I think, $13.5 million a year right now. And I mm-hmm. think he wanted to be somewhere closer to $20 million, um, according to, like, I guess, like, closer to the deal that Amari Cooper got today in free agency. And I think the Texans weren't willing to do that, and they might have saw a potential headache down the road, and they just got rid of him for a second-round pick. But for me, if I'm in that situation, aren't you leveraging that trade and maybe, like, shopping it around a little bit to see what type of deals are out there that people are willing to give up for someone like DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, I I, I can't imagine Bill O'Brien called every team here. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure the Bills would have definitely done this deal. I even think maybe even our Jets could have done this deal. Like, there are so many teams that probably would have paid this price for, um, honestly, a top three wide receiver in the NFL right now. Like, it, it, it's just pretty astounding to me that this deal went through, and it really calls into question Bill O'Brien's. Um, kind of judgment here at the GM. Yeah, it's it's just a wild trade to me. And, I mean, he's probably I, – I don't know where you're placing him in, in the in the league in terms of how you rank him, but he's probably the best wide receiver in the league, right? Yeah. I mean, you can make that case. I think that there are a few names like Michael Thomas. Um, yeah, I mean – Julio Jones, of course. Um, you go further down the list of OBJ. But and he, he's definitely, he's definitely I mean, like a guaranteed top three. And right, could be exactly. your number one. Exactly. And it's just kind of astonishing that he just gets uh, traded uh, like that. And I think it was kind of interesting looking at the Twitter reaction when it came out, when there were a lot of reports out that David Johnson was getting traded to Houston and a lot of people were like, Oh, that offense is going to be exciting. Bill O'Brien made a good move thinking that Deandre Hopkins wasn't getting traded. And then once the details of the trade came out, everyone on Twitter was like, Whoop, oh, no. made a mistake on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah. and Bill O'Brien's kind of won me over in terms of his coaching a little bit. Like he's, mm-hmm. You know, he's won the division a few times. He's made it to the postseason. I think most of the years he's been coach. And, you know, it's just like the GM aspect, though. It seems like he really put all his brain cells in in uh, in the coaching aspect and not really much thought on this GM because it's just a horrible deal. Um, 
I mean, I, I even like David Johnson for kind of a bounce back year, but mm-hmm. he's still, he's still, you know, was quite injured and lost a step last year. There's a lot of analysis and, you know, Kenny and Drake kind of took that job from him and it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not like David Johnson's a guarantee or anything. Well, I think the one interesting point that you made there in your in your analysis, Mike, is that a job balancing two jobs for an NFL coach to be a coach and a GM and make uh, personnel decisions like Bill O'Brien has the power to do in Houston, it's just a difficult thing to be able to do something like that. It's basically doing two jobs with the limited time that Bill O'Brien has as the head football coach. And I just think it's a difficult job to be able to do that without having the correct support. And it, and it falls at the feet of Bill O'Brien, especially when making a decision like this. And it really brings into question whether or not this is a viable uh, structure in terms of, um, whether or not it's a viable structure in terms of leading the NF- in terms of leading an NFL team. Yeah, and uh, and for the Texans, like with the Titans, kind of re-signing uh, Tannehill and you know keeping Derrick Henry on the franchise, it, and with honestly, you know the Colts kind of re-upping a little bit and signing DeForest Buckner, it's it, it kind of seems like you know, they're going to be on the downward spiral here. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's, I, I mean, you never can count out someone like Deshaun Watson at quarterback just because he's kind of developed into this special quarterback, uh, one of the young, special, mobile quarterbacks in the league. So I would never count him out, but there's other teams in their division that are re-upping and making things really interesting um, in that division. So, Mike, where else did you want to go in terms of other interesting moves? You mentioned you mentioned the um, Stefan Diggs deal uh, that ended up happening probably close to an hour ago, um, where um, the Buffalo Bills ended up getting him from Minnesota for um, a markedly better package than um, what ended up happening with DeAndre Hopkins, and I mean with Stefan Diggs coming into the AFC East being Jets fans, not very exciting for us, um, especially with the way he can run uh, a lot of those go routes um, and Josh Allen can fling the ball 60, 70 yards in the air. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And just to go on the AFC East in general, like we could talk about the Buffalo bills, but yeah, Buffalo, it seems like they're trying to make some moves to kind of take advantage of the Patriots kind of weakness here. And it seems like they're going to try and win the division next year. They put a lot of, they paid a big price for Stefan Diggs, to be honest. Um, I'm not even sure if that's worth it, but they are, they are trying to get the talent around Josh Allen that he needs. And I think Stefan Diggs kind of works well with Josh Allen and like what you were saying, the big arm potential. They signed Josh Norman as well um, and re-signed their offensive guard, Quinton Spain. So, you know, they're kind of taking a little risk with Josh Norman at the cornerback position because he really declined. But, you know, it seems like the Bills are trying to go for the division. Also, the Dolphins as well 
signing a few players here, like Byron Jones, right? That was the big just, deal. Yeah, high, they made him the highest, yeah. highest paid cornerback for the Dolphins. Um, yeah, I mean, the Dolphins' cornerback situation looks pretty good. Also, Kyle Van Noy. So it seems like they're kind of giving money left and right. Shaq Lawson as well. So they're really trying to improve that defense. And honestly, like, I, I kind of like some of the moves the Dolphins are making here. Yeah, I mean, I, the Dolphins are flush with cash. I believe they had somewhere close to $90 million in cap space, so they had money to spend. Um, and a so lot of draft picks. Right, and a ton of, like, three first-round picks this year. So they're going to be better, and that brings us to uh, some worry about our New York Jets, Mike. I mean, yeah, this might be – this might be a little too early to bring up the Jets in the podcast, but since we're fans of fans of them, we have to bring them up, um, and we could kind of go off from there. But uh, there's some worry, right? Um, what our our main move today for the Jets? Uh, do you want to report that? And how do you feel about it? Yeah, so it's George Fant, um, just a tackle for the uh, Seahawks. He, I mean, he's fine, right? He's just like a normal starter. So well, I don't even know if he's a normal starter, Mike. So yeah, I'm 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 just not quite sure here. Um what other moves are we gonna make? And we definitely need to make a few more moves here. Especially on that offensive line. I think the hard thing about what the Jets position right now is um no one wants to play for the Jets, honestly. Like, um there were a lot of rumors uh, before free agency started that the Jets really were in for Joe Thune, who's the the offensive guard for the Patriots, who ended up getting franchised. So the Jets weren't able to get, you know, even talk to him. But they thought a lot of people thought they were going to be in on Jack Conklin, who ended up signing um, a deal with the Browns today for three years, $42 million, which honestly isn't that much money and I would have definitely like I think a lot of people were projecting him to get closer to the 20 million dollar a year range um but young tackle like made the all pro team his um his rookie year so I think a lot of Jets fans were kind of staking their hope on him and to come out with someone like George Fant who honestly wasn't even the starting tackle last year and, and in previous years he's mostly been like a swing tackle, been that third tackle in Seattle, filling in um, in injuries uh, when injuries come up. Like, it's not that encouraging. And someone, I think he was ranked um, on pro football focus, the 53rd best offensive tackle in the league. So that doesn't mm-hmm. inspire too much confidence uh, moving forward. Um, he has a lot of gifts athletically, but it just um, – He's not someone that I'm totally excited about that's going to be taking over potentially the left tackle spot for the New York Jets, and they're paying him close to $10 million a year. Yeah, it, it's it's been a quiet start for us. We're yeah, make and, more moves here. Right, and I think the Jets have kind of struck out on a lot of potential guys that they were potentially in on, like um, – most Byron of the Jones. guys, Byron Jones was the guy that they were potentially in on. There was some talk about possibly swinging for the fences and bringing in Amari Cooper, but that didn't happen. Um, also, like Graham Glasgow, who was an offensive guard, 
did that didn't happen either. Um, he ends up getting signed uh, by the Denver Broncos for a four-year, $44 million deal. So there's a lot of these upper-tier, upper-echelon guys in free agency that are already off the board. So I'm curious to see what um, Joe Douglas's plan B is. Yeah, and uh, it kind of seems like our plan B is kind of bringing back the gang we had from last year, and that's Robbie Robbie Anderson. Yeah, Robbie right. Anderson. Yeah, I, and Robbie Robbie, but it's like yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's not it, it's not inspiring a lot of confidence here. Um, the fact that Robbie Anderson is going to be our kind of marquee resigning. Yeah, it's just. It, and I think coming into the offseason, a lot of the thinking for the Jets was we're going to rebuild the offensive line, protect Sam Darnold, give him a weapon, um, hopefully in the draft, um, so that we're starting to surround him with more talent so that he can help, um, so we can imp- help him improve. And it just doesn't seem like it's happening, especially on day one of free agency. Um, and Joe Douglas is not the type of guy that really is is going to be super I, I wouldn't say he's like he comes from like that uh, Ozzie Newsome tree of like be patient um, and kind of wait it out and see and kind of make these value value bets on guys maybe on the second third second wave of free agents and hopefully some of those guys are able to hit and I think um, that should hopefully inspire some type of confidence for Jets fans. Um, I'm trying to put a as positive spin at, on on this day as possible, but it definitely is somewhat disconcerting. Um, and then I think also like one of the things to kind of think back on is the Kalechi Osemele, um situation from last year. Mm. Um, with the shoulder situation and there being that tension between him and the front office. And I'm wondering if that has anything to play into what ha- what's happening in free agency in terms of whether some of these free agents are like, why would I want to go to a Jets organization that's not going to help me or support me? Yeah. Yeah, the OSMLA situation definitely – isn't quite helping us out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's enough on our Jets. Uh, we we haven't even started the season, and it seems like we're pretty down on them. I, I'm quite hopeful that we are able to have a good draft this year where we're able to patch up some of the offensive line issues. We signed R- Robbie Anderson again. I think that at, I don't know, the 10 to $12 million price range, that could make sense for us just to keep Sam Darnold um, some weapons. But, yeah, for the Jets here, we, we kind of struck out on who we wanted to get, but it's only day one, so still a lot of time. Yeah, totally. I think um, one of the teams that I did really want to highlight, and as we're hearing uh, some of your roommates in your background, um, <laughs> um, one of the teams that I actually did want to highlight that I thought did a pretty good job on day one and made things like fairly interesting was the Baltimore Ravens. And I I just kind of liked what they did. Like Michael Brockers, three years, $30 million. And then they ended up trading for Clayus Campbell, 
um, who ended up signing a two-year, $27 million deal with $20 million guaranteed. Matt Judon franchise tagged him. So they're really building up that all, or that defensive line putting so that they can put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And I'm starting to like what they're doing. And they ended up trading Hayden Hurst um, along with a fourth-round pick for a second and a fifth. And that fifth round pick ended up getting Clays Campbell. So think about it. Hayden Hurst and a fourth round pick for a second rounder and Clays Campbell. I, yeah. I think they kind of made out there. Yeah, it's a great move. And Clays Campbell, um, he's just a great locker room presence. And that defense is going to be even better than last year. You get another year of progression um, from Lamar Jackson. So that defense Looks pretty good to me, and honestly, I really like what the Ravens are doing as well. They were kind of the team that I I was going to bring up as a uh, winner free agency for the first day. Sounds good. Um, Any other teams? You you kind of mentioned what uh, Indianapolis did um, with DeForest Buckner, and that was they traded a first-round pick uh, for him, and then they gave him – a huge extension. I think it was the second most expensive um, contract for a defensive tackle only behind Aaron Donald. Um, so DeForest Buckner ends up getting traded over there for a first rounder. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great move for Indianapolis, in my opinion, but they are going to give him a pretty big extension, it seems. So I, I don't know. It's, it might be a slight overpay, to be honest, for DeForest Buckner. He was playing with, honestly, the most talented defensive line, and they're paying him a lot of money here. I think that his deal is only second to Aaron Donald. So mm-hmm. he's getting paid to be kind of a superstar, but I'm not quite sure he has it um, without the support of the rest of that San Francisco defensive line. Totally agree. It'll be interesting to see once he's isolated on a team like um, like um, Indianapolis and whether or not he's a product of the talent that was surrounding him, especially what in terms of what you alluded to um, on that San Francisco 49ers defense, or if he's like really a player that can sing, single-handedly disrupt um, an offense and what they do. Yeah. Yep, totally agree. And, um, I mean – He's had some great stats in the past, but we'll we'll just have to see. I'm, I'm not quite certain on him yet. But for the Colts here, they needed to make – I mean, they wanted to make some moves um, to finally break through and get into the playoffs for this year. And uh, I, think, I think they will. Mm, interesting. And then, Mike, Cleveland Browns, they ended – we mentioned the Jack Conklin deal um, – you know, in reference to what the Jets missed out on. But he ends up signing three-year, $42 million deal um, with Cleveland. And then they also sign uh, probably the best tight end in, in free agency, Austin Hooper. Um, it, seems, it says he'll be the highest-paid tight end in the NFL for four years, $44 million. Um, Case Keenum also signs as, as a backup to Baker Mayfield. Um, what do you make of what Cleveland did today? I I like it a lot, except I think it's an overpay for Austin Hooper. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Jack Conklin, you need to shore up that offensive line. It wasn't very good last year. They 
have Case Keenum on a pretty reasonable backup quarterback deal. I do like that move as well. On the Austin Hooper deal, it's, you know, just making him the highest paid tight end. I'm not quite sure he's worth that, especially when you have OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and you have to give it to Nick Chubb. Like, that offense is now absolutely stacked. And I'm just not sure that that was where I would put my money. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how that offense is going to work, especially if they bring back Kareem Hunt as well. Like, I'm like, who's going to catch the ball? Like, in terms of like what the flow of the offense is going to be, and if whether or not people are going to get frustrated because they're not getting the ball enough, I, that's what I'm curious about. Um, so, and and Kevin Stefanski, who's the new head coach over there whether like how is he going to utilize all these pieces and he's not known to be like I think he'll he'll utilize Austin Hooper a lot more than we imagine because I mean if you think about his Minnesota offenses like I I could kind of see Hooper being the Kyle Rudolph in that offense so Mm -hmm. he'll be utilized a little bit more I think there and they're going to run the ball a ton with Chubb I believe so It'll be really fascinating to see, like, how that offense is constructed. And then um, Conklin kind of frees them up in the draft to, like, probably draft, like, I, I think they'll kind of go uh, defense with the pick, but we'll see what it, what it is that they do with their draft pick as well. Yep, I agree. I mean, it makes sense to kind of shore up the defense at this point for them. Yeah. Um, Mike, is there any other team that kind of catches your eye? There's one, there's one other team that I, I did want to talk about, but anything on your side of things in terms of, um, what it is that you want to talk about? Mm, I mean, not, nothing in particular, uh, some quick ones that seemed interesting to me for the Titans, right? Resounding Derrick Henry and Tannehill. So it seems like they're kind of just trying to run it back. New England, you know, they're losing some key players on the defense side. So I'm, uh, I expect them to kind of be on the decline a little bit. They haven't really signed anyone new, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to be as formidable next year. To be honest, it's kind of a decline of the Patriots, and I think the rest of the division is getting a lot stronger. Totally agree. Um, yeah, that's about it. All right, so Mike, actually the one team that you did mention um, was the Tennessee Titans, and I didn't want to talk to talk to you about them for a little bit. They signed Ryan Tannehill to four years, one hundred eighteen million dollars, with sixty two million dollars guaranteed. Um, Tannehill has to like, especially for what he was traded for last year, and he wasn't even the starter um, to start the season in Tennessee. This has to be the biggest turnaround in terms of what he could have expected coming uh, out of his next deal. Um, And he has Derrick Henry to thank a lot for, you know what I mean? Like he better be buying Derrick Henry like lunches, dinners for the next five or four years um, during this deal because Derrick Henry just got him paid. Um, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So I, like, aside from the contract, because I think people kind of be like, yeah, it was a vast overpay. He got paid basically $30 million a year. 
Um, what, like, did you feel like it was the right move? It seemed like the Titans were kind of in the Tom Brady sweepstakes, and this this could kind of get into like reviewing the next couple of days of what we think is going to happen with Brady and some of the other dominoes to fall. But um, did you think it was the right move by the Titans to kind of go in on Tannehill for this much money? Yeah, I, I'm just kind of surprised at the price that they had to pay for him. Like, I would have thought that he would have went more in the kind of like $25 million range. But it seems like he was able to get paid. I agree. He owes a lot of that success to Derrick Henry. But, I mean, Tannehill was a solid above-average quarterback for the regular season games he played. And that was kind of, you know, him coming into the system as well. So he didn't have much time to adjust. You kind of bet on like him being comfortable with that offense um, and being able to, I don't know, increase his quality a little bit as well. But uh, I, I, I kind of like the deal overall. I would have kind of ran it back if I was interesting. Well, yep. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because like they basically proved last year that you can get like uh and Tannehill pretty played very well during the regular season and like basically proved that if you can manage a game in the playoffs like Derrick Henry can take you a far away but I just thought the whole idea of their success this past year was if you can get a competent quarterback someone like Teddy Bridgewater someone like that like hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could still have the same amount of success. Bridgewater proved that he can kind of keep the keep it afloat, especially with Drew Brees getting hurt with his thumb injury last year um, and going 5-0 and with that Saints team. I, I don't know. I, it's like, I guess it is hard to, like, kind of weigh the benefits, uh, the pros and cons, especially with an unknown, uh, a seemingly unknown quantity in someone like Teddy Bridgewater. But I don't know, twenty nine million for Ryan Tanhill just seems like a lot of money. And maybe he proves me wrong, but um I just thought last year the Titans kind of made the smart decision with Mariota, um, and being like, Oh, he needs some type of competition, brought in Tannehill for extremely cheap price in terms of draft capital in terms of what they traded for him. Um and it was like the right risk assessment and right move. And then this year they kind of like, like, all right, this, I guess we're committing to our franchise quarterback and Tannehill hasn't really proved that um, in previous seasons. And maybe you could point to, of course, this points back to the Jets, the incompetence that he had under Adam Gaze. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure he's worth the money but maybe in terms of where they are in the market they had to pay someone like him um that cost because of what he ended up showing in the playoffs yeah it's definitely like a pretty rich price in a longer term deal than i thought here uh derrick henry getting franchise tag only makes this even funnier like he's not even getting like a longer term deal here um, exactly. Imagine the Titans just franchise tagging for the next two more years, like two more years, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not ideal. It's, it's not ideal if you're a Derrick Henry fan. And uh, 
and for running backs in general, it just kind of shows like how much the quarterback position is valued. And honestly, in this case, a little bit overvalued. But if you're the Titans, I guess your options were like a Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater. Right. I, I mean, I, I kind of like the Teddy Bridgewater case you outlined there. For Brady, it's – I don't know. I don't know if Brady's that much of a step up from Ryan Tannehill, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of money. So it's a mixed, mixed reaction on that. But totally I do good. think the Titans can make some more noise. And Tannehill was – you know, he was not just average. He was like – he was a top – 10 quarterback for the regular season that he played in. Like, he was pretty good. No, he was, like, that. I'm I'm saying, yeah, he was a pretty good quarterback. It's just the amount of money in terms of what he, what he can do on the field, and you kind of saw that in the playoffs, is that they just want him to manage the game. So yeah. I don't know if you necessarily want to pay that much money for someone that can, that manages the game like he did. So that's kind of where the value aspect of things makes me question whether or not he's actually worth it. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times in the NFL, people get enamored about like having a quarterback. And since they have a quarterback, they want to, to kind of have that security. And that's why he got that long-term deal. Yeah. And, you know, if I look back at this Jimmy G contract, like, I'd rather have Tannehill than Jimmy G. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be interesting to kind of see um, in moving forward. So, Mike, um, let's preview the next couple of days um, in the free agency pool. Um, there's a couple guys that are out there, um, and I'm maybe I'll do, like, a quick fire, like, name the guy, I'll name the guy, and then you give me your opinion in terms of where you think uh, you could see them going. Okay? Yep. All right. So we got Tom Brady. Where do you see him going? I think he just resigns with New England. Mm. And I think this is fascinating because there's a couple of teams that have been out there. Um, possibly, you know, Tampa Bay has been floated out there, him going to replace Phil- uh, Philip Rivers uh, with the Chargers. Um, so that's another possibility. Um, it doesn't seem like the Raiders are in on him at all, but those two teams, it looks like uh, the Chargers, uh, the Bucks, or re-signing with the Patriots. And what, what's your reasoning between with why he's going to just re-sign with the Pats? I mean, it's in terms of his legacy – Right, it, it just doesn't make sense to go to the Buccaneers or the Chargers unless it's for money, right? Like, does Tom Brady, like the greatest player of all time, really want to go to Tampa Bay, or does he really want to go to uh, like the empty stands of, you know, in LA for the Chargers where they literally have zero fans? Like, why would he do that to his legacy when the Patriots, like, everyone wants him back, and he still has a chance to kind of run it back and maybe go for a run for the Super Bowl next year. So mm-hmm. why, why would he, I don't know. 
if New England's willing to pay him, um, why would he leave? Just it doesn't make sense. Totally agree. All right. So Mike, what another quarterback here, Phillip Rivers, where do you see him going? Yeah, so Phillip Rivers, it's a little bit tougher, but I think that I could see him in um probably the Buccaneers or even with the Colts. Right. Yeah, and it seems like it's kind of like their teams are going to wait to see where Tom Brady goes. And if Brady kind of goes back to the Pats, then Rivers Rivers will be uh, choice two or choice B uh, for a lot of these teams that want a quarterback. Like the Colts will possibly be in for him. There's also another possibility like the Bucks, like you mentioned. Um yeah, I'm I'm curious to kind of see what happens there. So, um, Rivers, like, there are a couple games last year that he just did not look great um, for for the the Chargers, and they decided that they're going to just move on for him from him. So, I'm curious to see like where he ends up moving. Yep. All right, couple more guys, Mike. Who do you? Where do you have? Um, Jadevian Clowney going. Um, he's uh, probably the best pass rusher left out there. Um, there's a lot of rumors that he might be um, the Jets' fallback plan. So, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I would love it if. I mean, I, I would like it if the Jets got Jadevian Clowney. To be very honest, their pass rush wasn't very good last year. Uh, it seems like the Giants are also in the mix for Jadeveon Clowney. I, it's hard to say. Um, it it kind of seems like our Jets are a decent bet for the Giants. Yeah, and then kind of along with that, Dante Fowler Jr. is po- possibly another guy uh, that's on the Jets' radars, radar since they struck out with a lot of these guys. Yeah, I mean, Dante Fowler Jr. Is, isn't a Jadeveon Clowney, um, but, yeah, you, you, you really want to get Jadeveon Clowney over to Dante Fowler Jr., in my opinion. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, he did have a lack of production last year, only three sacks. So that I think it might be a cause for concern with Clowney um, as to whether or not his athletic um, or his athleticism matches his uh, production on the field. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening there. Um, yeah, I, I kind of hope uh, the Jets can get in on some of these guys um, and hopefully they're able um, to make some moves. Um, were there any other guys out there that um, could be a potential for our Jets, Mike? Yeah, I like Robbie Anderson for our Jets. Just bringing bring him, him back. back. Yeah, okay. let's bring him back. And, um, I mean, Chris Harris Jr. would be an interesting name as well. Like, our cornerback situation is is quite awful. Yeah. I wouldn't – I mean, Chris Harris Jr. is 30 years old. That's kind of an age where they start to decline a little bit. But I, I don't know. I wouldn't mind, like, a two-year deal or something here, two-, three-year deal. Yeah, I was also thinking someone to plug and play, like Jason Peters on the offensive line. He's 38, but, I mean, he was rated one of the best offensive linemen last year, um, offensive tackles last year uh, through uh, pro football focus. So he's a possibility. Someone like Brian Bulaga, although he was, like, 
injured. He's always like injured in and out. It seems like um, that's another possibility for that right tackle spot. So yeah, all interesting types of possibilities there for the Jets. And there's still, still some of those guys out there. So hopefully uh, the Jets are contacting some of these offensive linemen because they need it real bad. Um, all right, Mike, let's move on to the second part of our podcast where we are going to talk about the uh, new labor agreement, the CBA, uh, collective bargaining agreement that ended up happening between the players and uh, the league owners. So, Mike, um, I think there's a lot of, like, really interesting points in the CBA and a lot of different headlines um, that'll catch people's opinions. So, where do you want to start with this thing? I mean, who who do you think the winners and losers are? Like, do you think the owners won or the players won? I I don't know. I think I think it's tough to say. Like, I think a lot of people are gonna say that the owners won. Um, yeah. And I and I I think a lot of people are gonna say that. Um, the I would say lower class of the NFL, like in terms of the structure, the guys that are the the minimums uh, type of guys, not like the top end guys are making significantly more money in comparison to the previous CBA. So I think that kind of influenced things in terms of the voting. The voting was very close. I think it was, um, I'm reading it now, it was 1,019 to 959. So there was only a separation of um, 60 votes. So not many, not many, there wasn't a huge difference. And I believe 20% of the league um, didn't vote. So um, there, there were about 2,500 players that were eligible to vote and only um, 80% of the players voted. So there was a significant uh, amount of players that didn't even take part in the vote. Um, and 60 votes wasn't that many votes to separate um, the two sides that were voting for the deal or against the deal. Um, so I I think like that could have played a part in it because especially with the, if you're bringing this whole thing, this whole deal to the table, um, it's not just the star players that get to decide on what ends up happening to this deal, but it's for the betterment of all the players in the league. So that could have been a, uh, one of the appeals to, um, I would say, a majority of the guys that are in the league. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I overall think that the owners did end up getting what they wanted. They got the 17th game, um, the additional team in the playoffs, and – yeah, I mean, the revenue split, they still have over 50%. They, I mean, I, I believe it's like 52% for the owners, right? Yeah, um, I, there's there's a lot of uh, specificity in terms of, like, uh, whether or not that rate ends up going up in, in uh, upcoming years, depending on, um, I believe, uh, certain revenue markers that are hit. Um, yep. But it's generally within... 48 to 48 and a half percent um, that the players are going to be able to get in terms of the revenue split. So definitely yeah. not the 50, 50 deal um, there. 
Um, but also, like, I think another, I think, a, um, like, to kind of talk about that 17-game regular season, um, that doesn't go into effect until as early as 2021, and that's if the owners decide if they want a 17th game. So they can kind of trigger that option between 2021 and 2023. Um, and so it's not guaranteed that it's going to happen but when i say that it's pretty much guaranteed because that means extra money for the for for the whole league so it's probably going to happen um and that's probably going to happen as early as 2021 yeah yeah i mean the the whole like deal was it's very friendly to like the minimum players and also they expand the roster um increase the practice squad. So, you know, for a lot of players who are playing on the minimum or like a fifth or sixth round draft pick, like on the fringe, like, of course I'm going to say yes to this deal. Like this basically like doubles my salary in some sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's such a easy, like if, if I'm a politician, right. And need to sway some votes, like the, and every vote is kind of counted the same. Like these are the votes I would try and swing. Right. So the owners, it seems like, got what they wanted. And all they had to give up was kind of some, you know, considerations for like these minimum um, minimum contract players. Um, but for the star players, definitely doesn't. I mean, a lot of the star players are kind of reaching out and saying like how much they disapprove of the deal. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I mean. They uh they played it right like they they got the votes and I think they got the votes by making it so friendly for those minimum um, contract players. Yeah. So what do you think about the move? Like because the I think the move that um, directly impacts um, what happens on the field is moving from six teams for each conference getting into the playoffs to seven teams, um, and I think that'll be pretty fascinating in terms of how that plays out because with the playoff structure now the only the top team is going to get a buy in um i believe the only the top team is going to get a buy if i'm doing my math right and how all the things work out um the only the top team gets a buy um i wonder how that changes things in terms of mentality um to be the number one seed um competitiveness uh later on in the season since the top two seeds won't be getting by so maybe there might be competition to go for that for the buy spot later on in the season instead of having guys sit out in week 16 17 18 now yeah i mean as a fan and in terms of the overall incentives for making the playoffs i i really like it actually like I really like the fact that we'll have one team who gets a buy, and there's so much like at stake to kind of go for it and you know try in the regular season. So I, I actually like that aspect of the incentives. I think it makes a little bit more sense. But also, as just like a fan of more games, um, yeah, like I, I, I would love to have seen how you know, let's say the the Ravens or you know some of the top like the second seed for last year I don't think it was the Ravens <laughs> now that I think about it but you know uh, the Chiefs would have had to play 
right? In that first right. round. But yeah, exactly. For me, for, I, I mean, for me, I think that makes it more exciting. You have some more of those storylines like the Tennessee Titans. It just adds a little bit more intrigue to that first round of the playoffs. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> a fan of it overall. Noise. Yeah, interesting noise going out there. Um, so, I think one of the – I think another really fascinating thing – um, coming out of the deal, and I think that it was kind of like floating around um, in the, um, I guess, like Twitter's Twitter sphere or like through Instagram and stuff was the drug policies um, in the CBA and what ends up getting punished, what doesn't get punished um, in the CBA. Um, I think the big thing with all of that type of stuff um, was how the NFL is kind of moving towards this more progressive policy um, in terms of relaxing rules on drug testing, um, especially with marijuana. Um, so what were your thoughts on that and in terms of like it reflecting, um, reflecting the times as we know it? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's like a good it's just a good public perception thing for the NFL. I think that like Robert Goodell doesn't really have as also like the arbitration rules as well. It's not totally up to the commissioner uh, right forward. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So for the NFL, like the marijuana policy and the, you know, arbitration rules, it's just a good look. It kind of modernizes the NFL, which kind of sometimes has an, image amongst like millennials as being like kind of stodgy um and old old timey i I don't know right how to exactly describe that but this kind of puts them on par or kind of trying to catch up to where like a league like the nba is right now totally agree um so i'm i'm looking at the specifics uh, in terms of marijuana testing it says they won't be suspended for positive marijuana tests um and I think another thing that it also talked about was the levels. So it takes 150 nanograms of marijuana to be in your system to trigger a positive test. Um, that's supposedly, and I'm getting this from Yahoo Sports, significantly higher than Major League Baseball's 50 nanograms. Um, and then the previous um, mark in the NFL was 35 nanograms. Um, so I think that it's kind of a fascinating like wrinkle there in terms of um, when, when testing ends up happening and then testing is also in a very limited space and window. So people, the, you know, players will know when it's coming. It, it can only happen in the first two weeks of camp. Um, so that what I think that'll be really interesting to see what ends up happening there. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And yeah. Yeah. I think overall there were some good parts to the uh, agreement. And I think that was one area where there was some, some, some progress. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. Some seeing some of um I guess like the discrepancies, especially with CTE kind of being such a prevalent topic uh, with the NFL and them adding a 17th game um, and what 
and and the effects that those things have. But I mean, the players could have voted it down, um, kind of um, in in opposition of adding that 17th game. But I wonder, you know, everything has a cost. It seems like, and what are your thoughts on like how that has a role? To play yeah, I mean, in everything. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, I mean, the 17th game, it's great for owners, much more revenue for them. Um, it's great for fans. We get another week of football. But for the players, it's not as great, <laughs> especially if you're a star player. Like, if you are a, you know, backup tight end or, like, backup quarterback, like, you know, that's all extra money for you. But you're not really having to play that much or put your body at that much risk, right? The training camp practices are are down as well. So a lot of these, like, kind of rules are are really benefiting a lot of the, um, you know, it's not really benefiting the star players who are going to have to kind of play every snap. But if you are kind of a backup, if you, um, you know, if you're not playing every snap and, like, putting your body at risk, then, then this is this is honestly like perfect and great for you. Right. That was kind of my sense of the deal. Yeah. And I, I found that very, I I just found like, I guess the, the stances that a lot of players take on like player health and things like that. um, Kind of interesting, especially with them, you know, voting to add the 17th game, but it, it makes it really interesting um, what the 17th game is going to add um, to the NFL. Because, like, in terms of fan support, like, everyone wants to watch more football. And that's yep. not, like, that's not out of the question at all. So, Mike, um, besides that, didn't have much to talk about, much more to talk about the CBA, but I found it fairly interesting. Yep, yep. I mean, I found it really interesting, too, but... I see a lot of perspectives of why like a star player would say no. And, you know, some of the other players might say yes. Yep. Totally agree. So Mike, uh, thanks for coming on before you actually go, Mike, let's talk about something outside of football. Obviously I want to steer it over to the coronavirus type of stuff. Uh, You are currently in the epicenter of what's probably been the biggest (laughs) lockdown in the United States. Um, was it the, the mayor or the California governor that ended up deciding to, or I, I believe it was the San Francisco mayor, right, um, that is decided to shut down everything that's going on in San Francisco. Um, and so how are things going over there? Yeah, so, yeah. I've uh, been working from home for the past week, and this morning the, I I don't know, like SF mayor, I think, uh, basically put like a ban, like you're not allowed to go outside unless it's for essential activities, but honestly, for the most part, um, you know, you're still allowed to go outside if you need to go groceries. I, I don't think anyone's really policing or checking for this, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy times. It's Definitely, it, 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 I don't know, it's such a scary time. And honestly, like, I, I, I'm kind of feeling like it might get worse. Like, given the, the um, 
you know, policies and, and reaction, initial reaction to this of, you know, the coronavirus, it just seems like we're under testing. This is a lot worse than is being reported. And uh, yeah, no, I think this is, you know, we're probably gonna have to work from home for the next like two to four weeks, maybe even more, which is insane to me, like having to work from home for that long. So it's an absolutely crazy world right now. And yeah, for everyone listening, just hope everyone's able to stay safe. But it, this to me is just like 2020 has not been a great year. <laughs> and, you know, with the Kobe aspect, with this coronavirus. So I'm hoping that there's an end in sight here. And uh, and yeah, hope everyone is able to stay safe. Yeah. How about I you, Kev? How, how's it like over there? Yeah. Um, parents haven't driven me crazy yet. So, um, so yeah. There's that positive. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, first day um, back at school uh, doing remote stuff. So um, it doesn't look like I'll be going back to, to law school this year um, in That's terms crazy. of being physically in school. So, um, yeah, this is, I guess, the new normal for the next, I would say, couple months or so, especially with what uh, the CDC kind of brought out there. Um, not congregating or gathering more than 50 people. Um, so it kind of rules out possibly um, my like meeting up in school um, and having classes. And then also just in terms of like graduation, not being able to have a graduation in a couple months. So uh, yeah. we're pretty much dealing with all that. So there's like a lot of unknowns, but um, I encourage everyone that's out there friends, family, anyone that's listening to the podcast, uh, stay safe, um, be responsible, uh, and just care for the the other people um, in your community around you. Yeah. yeah, and that's crazy, like schools, like all the schools shutting down, all of them going remote. It's like, why are we even, like, you're basically, I don't know, every college grad school student is paying like tens of thousands of dollars now an online education where it's like slightly different courses but you know seems like a lot of the experiences like actually being there interacting with classmates uh, professors so the fact that that whole experience is kind of taken away so much values it, it's just a totally different experience so yeah yeah totally crazy so hopefully this podcast was able to bring some levity some uh, attention away from all the um, things that are going on in the world right now. So hopefully we're able to kind of uh, take your attention away from all the stuff with coronavirus and kind of uh, get you into all the stuff that's happening in the NFL world. So Mike, um, thanks again for coming back onto the podcast as always. And uh, yeah, we'll probably be doing this a couple more times, especially since we're working remotely uh, going to school remotely and don't have much else to do. So thanks again, Mike. I hope you hear this message and I hope it makes you smile. Don't worry about me, baby, cause I swear that I'll be fine. I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up. And I'm addicted, I can't get enough.